0: Hi, I'm Kate and I'm Mandy and this is Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and the sober curious. If you love the Love Sober podcast and it's helped you to get, stay or love sober, you can support us by heading over to patreon.com forward slash love sober pod and contributing one pound per episode. Thanks so much for your support. Hi there and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. Uh, And today I am interviewing Chris Marshall um, all the way over in Austin, Texas. And would you believe it's three in the morning for him and it's 10 for me, but we'll get into why that's his happy space in a moment. Uh, Chris is the owner and founder of Sands Bar, an alcohol-free space and community based in Austin, Texas. He's been alcohol-free since February 16th, 2007. Um, Chris started working as a substance use counsellor at an integral care in 2009, in which his, his clients struggled to remain absent from alcohol when they exited treatment. He created Bar in 2017 with the belief that everyone deserves a safe, sober and inclusive environment where they can authentically connect with others, which I love and I want to go to Austin, Texas so bad. Chris identifies as a person who is thriving despite a mental health diagnosis and is advocate for mental health. Um, And Sands Bar is opening. So life is returning to Austin, Texas. So we're going to dive into Chris's story in a minute. Um, But we always start by just sort of checking and saying, hi, and how are you doing, Chris?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me on.
0: Um, Yeah. So, I mean, you said that this time (laughs) in the morning was okay. So you were just saying to me that actually like kind of this is where you have your creative mind space in kind of, you know, the early hours of the morning. That's your happy place.
1: Yeah, 3 a.m. is my happy place. There's something about being awake at this time of day. Morning, night, I don't know. Uh, for me, it's night because I just stay up. Um, but the world is just quieter. Uh, mm. I just feel like uh, this 3 a.m. love is partially due to to the way that I, I lived when I was drinking. I think that... Um, part of my healing journey has been to make this hour right mm. in the world for me. So, yeah, I, I just love this, this time of day. I think it's just a beautiful, um, twilight between what was and what will be.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I was thinking about that, just how things shift because, you know, the, I mean, I get up at sort of six every morning, um, to get the kids to school, and that was just unimaginable beforehand, you know, it was such a strain. And now it's just, I mean, it's, it is, I mean, I was up because there, there was a full moon last night. I was up pretty much all night, um, unintentionally. And, you know, seeing the full moon over the sea at like five in the morning was was pretty magical. So yeah, I, I can get it. I'm not quite there at three in the morning, but I, I can get I can get the concept. Perhaps, you know, if I didn't have kids, then it might be a bit different. But um I
1: have I have kids as Oh, you have kids as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean they're they're five and six and usually <laughs> like if it's and this is not an all the time thing, but if I'm in kind of a, a creative place, then I I will kind of make this my routine for a few days. Um, and I usually stay up with the kids, help my wife get them off to school, they go to school, she's a teacher. So they go to the same school. And uh, I help them get dressed. And it's really actually kind of nice that there's no rush since I don't have to wake up, I'm already up, get them dressed and out the door.
0: Well, it's I mean, you know, it's and it it's it is about kind of reclaiming what works for you. You know, that's what's beautiful about being sober, right? I mean, we talked um with Anne Dowsett Johnston who wrote Drink, which is an incredible book and she's an amazing writer and she was saying the same. It's just like, you know what? It's like four AM is my is my writing space. That's my happy point. So it's like, Well, yeah, it's kind of Part of that journey to live in a way that works for you, rather than in the confines of what other people expect of you, right? So, um, yeah. So we always start with a little bit about your kind of um, journey to being alcohol free. So, yeah, if you could tell us a little bit about your kind of drinking story and what led you the, to the decision to to stop.
1: Yeah, so I started drinking when I was sixteen years old. Um, prior to that, I had this kind of weird awareness of alcohol. I knew that alcohol was not good. Uh, when I was five years old, uh, I was picked up by my aunt. My whole family doesn't drink, by the way. Like no one in my my mom's side of the family drinks at all. And uh, I was picked up by my aunt and we were driving to, to my house where she would keep me after school. My mom was also a teacher. <laughs> and uh, on the way to my house, I can... or rather a bottle rolled from underneath the driver's seat and I just became transfixed on this bottle. I just could not grapple with what I was seeing. I knew something was wrong. And so I, I I was like, this is just isn't real. Like my family doesn't drink it. Here is a beer bottle. This is, this is not right. This is not okay. And she's driving and that's dangerous. This was at five years old. Mm -hmm. Um, and so just because I knew I wouldn't be believed, I memorized the spelling of the kind of beer it was because I wanted to make sure that I was going to be believed when I told my parents later on. And um, I, my mom got home and she could tell that something wasn't okay. And I said, mom, I have to tell you something. It's not good. And she said, what is it? You can tell me anything. I said, my aunt, when she picked me up today, was drinking and driving. It's like, no, that's not possible. Like we just don't drink in this family. That's not something we do. And uh, I said, like, nope. I remember the name of the i remember it I have the spelling in my head. it is r o o t r o o t beer and she said that's root beer that's not that's not <laughs> alcohol Chris that's not the same thing. What do you know and um that's how but that's something early on, and I still don't really know how that became. Um, so emblazoned in my mind that alcohol was bad and dangerous. But I lived with that from five to, to 16. I had you know, just decided that this was something that I could personally not do. What changed for me was as I was getting into my teenage years, my friends were drinking and my friends were having parties and going out on the lake and, and drinking. And I felt alone. Um, I had always felt alone. I've always been a kind of a kid who felt like they were on the outside looking in. And uh, alcohol seemed to be the way that people were connecting at that age. And so I made the very detru- tough decision to drink. Um, it didn't feel like a heavy decision at the time. It seemed like the most logical decision. But after I had that experience, I, I felt this immense amount of guilt um, but the experience itself is worth noting. You know, when I, when I had my first drink, I was around all my friends and we opened up this beer. It was really hot and gross and disgusting. And I remember drinking it for the first time and just feeling just like this bleh, nasty feeling in my mouth. It was gross. But then this feeling, this rush mm. of exhilaration and connection came. I felt like I had done something like a ritual with my friends. Like we had, we had crossed this forbidden barrier together. And for them, it was not that. For them, it was another night uh, out in the field drinking some beers. But for me, it was this almost religious experience. And I carried that with me all throughout high school. Um, As my consequences continued to stack up, I kept getting in trouble. I would show up to school drunk in high school. I was Um, going to summer school every summer because I was not able to go a day without drinking or being hungover in high school. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I started very, very early. Um, and, And in many ways, I'm grateful that I did have such a unhealthy relationship with alcohol. And it was so heavy, you know, in my life because it quickly helped me to go downhill in a faster way, right? Like I was able to, some people kind of roll down the hill in this the slow slope I barreled down like a like a roller coaster barreled down to the depths of my my drinking and by the time I got into college I had pushed away every meaningful relationship I had because of my alcoholism
0: hmm. yeah um I mean I, I resonate with so many of those just those it's so interesting to have that insight and to be able to look back and especially that kind of, um, feeling of being alone basically and not fitting, you know, and then that kind of connection and it becoming ritualized and, um, I mean, it's incredible insight to have that. And I think it'd be really helpful for people to listen to because it really describes what so many people who get into problems with alcohol feel. It's just like, for whatever reason, I don't fit as I am. And then everyone's doing this thing. So even though there's resistance there, and you know, and I had the same, like, I never liked people when they were drunk when I was younger. It just freaked me out. I found it really scary and just I didn't like how people change not even if they were like horrendously drunk, you know, just they'd have a few drinks with dinner, my parents, and all of a sudden I'd be like, oh, you're not quite who you're you were before and you're a bit more silly. And you know, everyone used to say I was too serious or I was too, you know, um too worried about things. But that's how I was internalizing the world. It was just like, ah oh, this is really stressful. And so there was that moment of like, well, I can't beat them, join them, right? It's like, well, you know, otherwise I'm gonna be on my own or and I already feel alone or it was that kind of magical elixir of like social anxiety killer, you know, it's like, let's do that. And then, ah, okay. We have this kind of bonding, you know? And I mean, I sort of, it took a long time for me to kind of come to peace with, you know, those teenage years and I put myself in a lot of dangerous positions and, you know, but if you took away the drugs and alcohol, Essentially, a lot of what we were doing, you know, when we were going raving and going to kind of festivals was that bonding and that kind of connection and that survival, you know, it's like everything was a bit mad outside and we had that connection you know and and we went dancing and you know that's really good for your nervous system and all that but you know unfortunately it's not socially acceptable to do those things right so we drink because it's it's what we're supposed to do so yeah I really related to uh, a lot of that um, experience and so you know from that point where uh, everything was very difficult for you um, how did you get to the point where you were like okay I need to change and then what did you do?
1: So I found myself in college, second year of college, really struggling to leave the house. What I wasn't aware of at the time was that I had had this social anxiety disorder since fifth grade maybe, if not earlier. (laughs) Like I'd always been a, a nervous, anxious kind of person in social situations. And the alcohol really helped at first to, like you said, alleviate a lot of that anxiety. I felt like I could belong. I could relax. I could be someone else. And I was really good at becoming someone else. But when the alcohol faded away, I was left with myself. And the more I was left with myself, the more I felt the need to be someone else. Mm-hmm. And it was this, this vicious cycle that fed up on itself until I couldn't do it anymore. And uh, I was 23 years old. In college, my mom had to come extricate me from college where I was at and uh, move back in with her. I went to treatment for the first time and quickly signed myself out. I was like, I don't belong here. I'm 23 years old. There is absolutely no way I can stop drinking at this point in my life. What am I going to do when I get married? What am I going to do when I want to watch sports? How will I live my life? without alcohol. It just, I couldn't wrap my head around it at that age. And so uh, I lasted about 90 days without drinking after signing myself out of treatment, but quickly found myself in that same empty place and felt just as alone as I had before I took that first drink at the age of 16 and decided to drink again. And what that experience helped me to understand was that when I picked up again, I found myself right where I was when I had stopped those 90 days before. I just, it was a nightmare. (laughs) It was just an absolute nightmare. Uh, I got to the point where I really did wanna stop. Uh, I I didn't know how it was gonna be possible, but I did wanna stop. Um, So I had a conversation with my mom and uh, this was a very important thing to note that my mom decided to say that, you know what, no matter what you decide to do with your life, Chris, I'm changing the locks in this house and you cannot live here anymore. You are um, killing yourself slowly and I've accepted and made peace with that reality that you are really, really sick. And if you don't stop drinking, you're not gonna make it. Um, I really wanted to stop, but she was really done with me too. And mm-hmm. it and it kind of worked perfectly. Uh, I think had I not been ready to stop, that ultimatum would have just gone un, unchecked, and I would have just continued to roll down the hill. I had some desire to stop, and so she gave me this option of, "Hey, you can go out on the street, or you can go to treatment for one last time." And I decided to go to treatment. And when I went to treatment, I had two really important things happen to me. One was uh, I had a doctor, a psychiatrist meet with me and tell me that a lot of what I was experiencing was related to my mental health stuff. And I definitely had problems with alcohol. I will say that, you know, I and I later became a counselor, fast forward a bit, I, I, I did become a counselor, licensed you know clinician in the state of Texas. So I, I did meet all the criteria at the age of 23 for alcohol use disorder. Like I, I had the thing, but what I also had was this mental health piece. And when the doctor was describing this mental health stuff to me, it it just felt like an unburdening. I I was able for the first time in in forever to feel like I wasn't an effective person. Like like there was something that wasn't okay with me, but that was fixable. Mm -hmm. And that gave me hope. So that was the first thing. Someone told me that, hey, what you have going on is a lot of self-medication due to your mental health stuff. The second thing that I, that I heard was that was important was a group of people came onto the unit that I was going to treatment. And these were alumni of the, the program that I was in at the time. And one guy just pulled me aside and asked me if I felt a part of anything. And I said, I don't, I don't feel a part of any, any friend group, any I was in a fraternity in, in college, I don't feel a part of that. I don't feel a part of my family. I don't, I don't feel a part of anything. I don't know where I belong in this world. And that question was so helpful because while it was a question, it was also an invitation. It was an invitation to join this group of people. And so they just took me in. I I guess a 23-year-old kid. They were all much older than me. They're probably the age I am now. (laughs) And they they just loved on me. They took Mm -hmm. me out every Friday night. Uh, We went out after the meeting and had coffee and bad Mexican food. <laughs> um, it, it was the weirdest, most uncool thing to do, but it was very cool and not so weird. And after a while, it became something I looked forward to. I I loved those people. And I loved that I was laughing and genuinely belly laughing for the first time as a, as a young adult. That set me up for... Life. It helped me to understand that I was worthy of love. I was worthy of actual, authentic connection. And that who I was, the core of me, was lovable. And that jump started, you know, all these other thoughts like maybe I can go back to school. Maybe I can have a healthy relationship. Maybe I can be all of these things. It really came, I was really birthed through this experience of being with these people connecting with these people it it transformed my life in a way that I I don't even think any of the other um, tools that I picked up in my journey have helped me
0: oh god there's so much to to say and so much I resonate with again it's just that thing I mean I think what's been hugely the shift you know I mean there's lots of shifts right that we're seeing we're seeing this kind of you know, we'll talk about it in a moment in terms of, you know, the alcohol-free drinks and and allowing that to, you know, make space for people that don't drink within social spaces. But, you know, a huge part of the shift has been this conversation about mental health. You know, we're not there yet. It's still kind of, you know, if you're if you've got mental health just you know disorder they send you to one you know service or if you've got an, an addiction issue they send you to another and they're not talking to each other which is part of the work but I think within kind of certainly within social media and within you know people um Talking about it, we're understanding, you know, that there's this huge connection between mental health disorders and, you know, alcohol use, you know, and and that self-medicating thing. And that was definitely for me and that liberating part of it when it's like, oh, okay, as you said, I'm not a defective person. Like it's such a sort of horrible kind of feeling or or that stigma attached to those kind of labels and it's like oh actually all right you know I mean for me it was kind of the trauma piece the depression piece the anxiety piece it was like okay and I can do something about these things you know and that like little glimmer of hope um and so, in terms of the the reason, was that twelve step program, or was that a, another kind of a group that you those people that held you at the beginning?
1: They were twelve step groups. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, I think that I, and again, this was in two thousand seven, so there weren't many options. I mean, recovery was very binary; yeah. either you were in a twelve step group or you were out. You know, and I sometimes think about how many people we've lost in the span of human history that did not fit either one of those categories. And uh, I am so grateful that things have changed and evolved over the past 14 years that I've been alcohol free. And now there is an understanding that it is not a binary situation. We really do have a sobriety spectrum and wherever you identify along that sobriety spectrum is perfectly fine. And, you know, that goes from sober curious to sober serious. And wherever you find yourself on that line, you are welcome and you are perfect just the way that you are. You are you are lovable and you are fixable. And that um, is the most amazing thing. I, I just am so grateful to be alive at a time when we start to recognize that people don't just fit into one category or the other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I wondered kind of because uh, sort of growing up in... So it, was this in Austin where you where you went to treatment and things like that? Have you always lived in Austin? Uh,
1: so actually, I've, I've lived in Texas my whole life. So right. I grew up in Houston and uh, went to college in San Antonio. Uh, but I got sober in Houston and uh, moved to Austin about a year into my sobriety. And it was definitely a, an adjustment because I had developed friendships and connections mm-hmm. in Houston and then to move, you know, to a new city, it was challenging, but I had really good tools in place and I was able to use those tools. There wasn't a lot of internet or social media. I think I still had MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, it was a different world. It was a different world, but um, I was able to continue to practice the things that had worked for me in that first year here in Austin and then expand upon those tools. I was able to meet new people and I went back to school and that was an awesome experience because I had not done really well in school before. I failed out of college. I barely completed high school. So it was, it was really interesting to like put myself in these new situations and feel the fear and do it anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, There were just so many wonderful, beautiful things that were happening in my life in those first few years of my sobriety.
0: So you, yeah, you mentioned your tools. So what are your kind of self-care practices? What do you, what are your tools that kind of keep you sober and and happy, right? Because it's one thing to be abstinent, but another thing to enjoy your life. I mean, that's, that's the goal.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I I think that, you know, just not drinking is, is a big deal. And I I never want to like give it short shrift. I mean, if you're not drinking, that is a monumental accomplishment, but I believe that life is so much more than just not drinking. Um, it is fully living. And and I would not stay sober if it was just about not doing something and, and, and living life in the negative. I want to live life in the affirmative. So there's a couple of tools that I have picked up along the way that have been really helpful. Um, one is to just redefine what success means. Um, oftentimes, we look at success as have I done it or have I not done it? Have I, you know, have I achieved total wellness and sobriety or have I failed and I'm a complete failure? Again, I look, I look at things through a spectrum and say, you know what? Um, every single day I'm going to get it just 1% better. I'm going to get just a little bit better every single day. And and when I redefine success that way, I'm able to see like, I'm, I'm continually winning. Like I'm, I'm getting better. I'm doing better. I often um, look at my sobriety not through the lens of how many days I have, but how well I'm sleeping, how well I'm eating, um, did I call a friend? How well am I resting? These are ways that aren't typical ways of quantifying your your recovery or your wellness. But for me, it helps me to see the the, the, the accurate picture, the real uh, way things really look, because just looking at days, I, I mean, literally, I have 14 and a half years. I mean, if if we just want to hang my hat on that, that that's yeah. I mean that sounds great, but I've had a lot of hard days in those days. I've 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 done unhealthy things in those days. I just didn't drink in those days. And so for me, it's like gotta be more than just something that you can just point to this singular thing as like success or failure. And so if you're and you're if you're listening to this in your in your very early days of your sobriety journey remember that, that it's not about how many days, it's the quality of the, those days. You know, How well rested do you feel? How, how many times have you laughed? Measure your life in laughter and rest. Uh, it changes the way that you look at things. Um, the other thing that uh, I think is a, a tool that I use a lot is accepting that life is going to give me peaks and valleys. Um, a big misnomer about, getting better is that things are never going to be problematic again like you're never going to have any other problems and and for and that was my reality once i once i had that very first hard day i was shocked i was like what like <laughs> this is <I> a <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> wait a second i i i i got rid of the thing right and the, and then i started taking medication to deal with my mental health and so i'll never be depressed again i'll never be anxious again like what is this um and the reality is is like i'm going to continue to have valleys in my life i'm going to have hard days that does not mean i'm a failure does not mean i'm a bad person doesn't mean i'm doing sobriety wrong it just means that i am a human being yeah. having yeah. a human experience mm. and then the last thing that's really important to me is just giving myself time to be myself um really spending time getting to know myself. Uh, I just yesterday, um, yeah, technically yesterday, I, uh, I this the weird thing about 3 a.m., like who yeah. knows, is it, is it still today, is it yesterday? Um, it's technically at this point yesterday. Yeah. Um, I was just looking for something to do and I decided to, to go to this resale shop and I saw a pair of rollerblades and I was like, oh my gosh. I'm buying rollerblades. Like it was just, it was my, it was my day. It was just for me. And the idea of rollerblades at 38, uh, scared me, but also intrigued me. And that's how I know something special when it, when it has equal parts, fear and intrigue, it's special. Mm. And, uh, I, I bought the rollerblades and I did not fall knock on wood. Um, I have not broken any bones. Um, I was very proud of myself. I, I picked it. Picked it up. It was, but I and I filmed myself. I, I did all, I put it on my Instagram stories. And I, as I was watching myself rollerblade, I was smiling the whole time. Like no one was around. I didn't even realize I was smiling the whole time. Uh things like that just ignite uh this, this passion for for being sober, this passion for connecting to others. Doing things like that, getting to know yourself, surprising yourself. Um being you mm. is the most important tool that I have in my toolbox today. Oh,
0: I love it. And you, gosh, you've cheered me up because I was well grumpy this morning when I woke up.
1: I was like, oh, I didn't sleep. But now
0: I'm like, yes, I'm going to go do something really fun. Um, but it is, it's that kind of, and I always say to clients, it's like, you know, listen into your, it's so hard because we, we, you, know, we grow up sort of, Being taught, or you know, society, or whatever, internally to ignore ourselves, you know, ignore our wants and desires, and and sort of try and fit into this box. And so, but it's all there. It's all still there. But it's that kind of skill of listening in again and going actually, because you know, one of my big tools was coloring. You know, it was just something that you know I could do that I, you know, I it occupied my hands so I wasn't like in that habit of you know a glass of wine in my hand and my hands were busy I could kind of you know it was a state of flow I could watch tv and color but I was kind of concentrated or something and I had to kind of you know and and that really came from because I used, you know I live in France and I used to go to the UK a lot on the Eurostar and so every time I would go through the kind of for customs you'd see the you know coloring books in the train station. And I'd look at them and I'd go, ooh. <laughs> you know, there'd be that little, ooh, little kind of desire or intrigue. Um, and i just ignore it. It's like, I don't do that. You know, I'm a grown woman. I'm in my 30s, can't do a coloring book. Like, how ridiculous. And so when I was in this sort of state of inquiry into my own sobriety and what I needed and wanted, it was just like, well, maybe I'll just, maybe it will help, <laughs> you know, maybe. Um, And it was, I mean, for the first sort of those first really few months, which were incredibly difficult and it's all about routine and just sort of it is quite a lot of willpower before you've got that sort of space away from your old habits. You know, I did. I just I coloured. I went in the bath. I went to bed and that was that was about as much as I could manage. But. And it is, it's that kind of, and sometimes it's scary. And sometimes you need that person, you know, like I wanted to do yoga, but I was terrified because I have anxiety. So at that point it was like, okay, call a friend, right? It's like, could you come to yoga with me? And now I can go on my own. And so it is that sort of balance of like, right, what am I capable of on my own? And where do I need support? and that kind of listening in and then finding the joy and experiences of, of your life. So yeah, thank you for reminding me of that. And I will watch your stories and, and see the smile.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm going to, I'm going to keep, keep sharing that journey because I think I'm going to get better and better. Um, It's just the 12 year old part of me really needed that. And I just believe that we are all ages simultaneously And, uh, the 12 year old part of me, I I, like listened to grunge music on the way home, like, like the like the 1995 version of me needed, needed all of those things. And it was great that I I was able to nurture that kid because that kid never really got the chance to see the rest of the world. I kind of shut him down and became this anxious, afraid kid who was trying to people please and became a class clown and, um, I was able to kind of make amends to that version of myself. And oh, yeah. I do that all the time with all ages of myself, especially the ages where I drank. Um, oh,
0: yeah, I love that. I hadn't really thought about it like that cuz I mean, one of my again, it comes back to sort of using what you knew and what you loved, but in a way that nurtures your sobriety. Because, you know, obviously I was really into music and and hip hop and, you know, and techno and deep house and sort of that party scene. And I use that stuff now. You know, it is is that kind of you know, dancing around if I'm stressed out or just taking a moment, you know, I had therapy yesterday. And, you know, so it's a tool like I put on my headphones afterwards, and I'll just listen to some tunes. And that will just help me to just process. Um, and I had never really thought about it nurturing that part of me in that way. But it's a really beautiful way to, to think about it. Um, so tell us about Sans Bar and tell us about why you set it up and the work you do in, in that sense.
1: Yeah. So I uh, got sober, decided to go back to school, became a counselor. And I did that for about eight years here in Austin. And I loved my work as a counselor. I felt really equipped to do it. Um, I was a wounded healer, someone who had had the you know sickness and got better and really enjoyed helping other people get better. Uh, I, I loved it. I, and I still miss it sometimes (laughs) Um, I miss being a counselor I miss working with people but as I was working with individuals I kept seeing the same pattern emerge over and over again people would get better for a little bit and then they would go out into the world and they would return back to treatment and after seeing this 200 or so times I started to ask myself like why does this keep happening why does this pattern keep emerging over and over again and when I started to talk to my clients, they would all say the same thing. Like I went out there with every intention to stay sober, to to not do drugs, to not um, act out on my eating disorder, whatever their, their thing was. But when I got out into the real world, I found myself alone. Mm-hmm. And the only way I could connect with people was to go out and drink, to go to the clubs, to go to the bars, to have wine with my friends for the for the mommy stroller group that I'm a part of. It, it just was this thing that was happening over and over again. And I just couldn't stay in my capacity as a counselor and just accept that that was what happened. Um, a lot of people around me in my profession were totally okay with it. And in fact, blamed the clients for their failure. And I, I just, I couldn't do that. It just didn't seem right to me. Um, It didn't seem right that people who were sick were responsible for every aspect of how they got better. Mm. Uh, If you have a cardiovascular problem, you go to a heart surgeon and they, they help you. Um, If they, if you have another cardiac event they're not going to blame you and tell you that you just didn't want it enough. They're going to like, Hey, let's go back and look at what, what's happening here. Do we, Yeah, how the can environment?
0: We... yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Like they're going to look at, you know, what's your diet. Let's do some more blood work in labs. It's not going to be a, Hey, let's sit down and talk about how you didn't do this, how you mm-hmm. could have done better. Um, And we, so we don't treat the body and the mind the same way. And uh, I'm just really into like looking at problems through the lens of what's the best answer for, for everyone. And for me, the way that I answered the problem, like how do these people stay sober is by teaching them to be social. Mm. Uh, And the best way that you can do that is to create a classroom for that. And, Mm. um, you know, my mom was a teacher. So I kind of grew up in the idea of like looking at the world through an educational lens. Mm. And uh, I was like, okay, so we need to create a classroom that feels cool and not like a classroom. Because if it's a classroom, people are going to think it's lame. Mm. And Can't do that. So let's call it a bar. And let's make it a bar for everyone. Let's make it a space where every single person feels included. You know, the third space, the space between home and work, is so important. And the third space has evolved over the course of 50 years. You know, it used to be, uh, you know, kind of going out to the park, you know, and and that that kind of changed. We don't kind of go out anymore like we used to. Yeah. Um, then it changed to, to bars and, and pubs, and that's where most most people kind of gather. And uh, then it was coffee shops in the '80s and '90s, and that that was a thing. And then it stopped being that. Um, so so there's really no third space that is designed with connection in mind. Never mind the alcohol piece. Um, there's just not a third space that really speaks to that. And that's really what Sands Bar is. It's a classroom, but it's also this third space that is designed to help people to to connect to members of their community, to be authentically themselves, um, to show up as they are and just be loved on, much in the way that I was loved by that group when I was in treatment.
0: Oh, I love it. And um, it's really interesting. I was talking about this with my with my husband yesterday about, you know, how it all boils down to connection. It all, you know, whenever everything, it always, you know, he was talking about kind of, um, you know, health and autoimmune disease and I was like you know what they found out that a lot of that stuff is because people are intrinsically lonely you know and because we're not connected anymore and and what they're realizing is that the immune system is is breaking down because part of the way that the body works is in you know face-to-face contact and and those neurons pinging off and and us being together and um and so it all you know I was reading a book about depression it's all about connection and those breakdowns so yeah, I mean, well done you for sort of thinking and and accessing that space and being able to realize the importance of it. And, you know, and it's a cool space, too, right? Like you do amazing kind of do you call them mocktails or is that have you changed?
1: So I am uh, constantly evolving <laughs> yeah, uh, the language I, like, <laughs> I use around. So I at first was OK with mocktails and I wasn't OK with mocktails. I'm okay with mocktails again Okay. and here's why, because I understand that um, much like anything, you need a reference point. And, mm-hmm. and for these drinks, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around what it is. And so the mocktail is the best reference point that a lot of people have. Mm-hmm. I personally prefer the term zero proof cocktail because it denotes everything that these drinks are. They're, they're complicated, they're built, Um, They're crafted and they're not a Shirley Temple or seltzer and lime. They really are drinks that have depth and they're interesting and fun and sweet, savory Mm. and all that in between sour. I mean, it just it's there's a lot there. So I I really try to impress upon people that this is more than just some juice in a glass. Like it really is a, a great drink.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because I was like, oh, ooh, I don't know whether we're supposed to say that <laughs> anymore. But it is. It's just that it, I guess it's it's um, it's those knowledge gaps, isn't it? It's like right, you have to fill the space with something before people really can move to a space of more complex language. And I guess that's why we get in these like these places. So, what are your um, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I've been watching the kind of you know the obviously in in the UK we have clubs Club Soda which has done amazing things and you know Laura is you know one of my absolute sheroes I adore her and everything that she she does and you know we we often speak at the the big festival in London and it's such a great time to get everyone together in France the um, non alcoholic drink scene has been a little slow (laughs) to take off um but you're starting to see the kind of big brands doing there's you know the beer brands and stuff like that um but most of it is kind of imported from from the UK at the moment I'd say um what's it been like in the US in terms I I mean I've seen it explode but it, it was a little bit slower than the UK I think if i
1: Well, I mean, if, if I remember correctly, when I started Sands Bar in 2017, there was nothing out there. There was like seed lip was like the the thing. And it was a revelation because prior to that, there was no spirit alternative that you could use in crafting a drink. And so I would say that in the last four years, um, well, I mean, it's a fact that the non-alcoholic segment of the beverage market is the fastest growing. It is is unbelievable. It is a gold rush. And uh, it's helpful to have a space because people get to find their next favorite product in these spaces. And that's what I think is the beauty of this. Um, Had there not been this explosion of beverages, I don't think Sands Bar and other spaces like it could have been as successful. In fact, I know that prior to 2017, there were several attempts across the United States to open alcohol free bars, and they didn't do well because the product just wasn't there. There was, it was it hard was to justify. Fruit
0: juice. Yeah, it was. Right, right, <laughs> yeah.
1: right. It so, was very hard to justify paying money for fruit juice.
0: Yeah. So, what's your kind of like, um, what's your favorite? I guess, do you drink uh, non alcoholic beers?
1: I do. And, and it took me, and I have to qualify this, you know, full disclosure. I, I was slow to the, in a beer scene. I waited a decade before Mm -hmm. I even tried one. And I suggest that anyone go at their own pace Yeah, because I know that everyone responds to this stuff differently. Um, But for me, I just, and honestly, there weren't great beers around for 10 years. I mean, it just, there, I wasn't going to drink an O'Doul's cause it was, I knew it was gross. Like I knew it wasn't good. Uh, but over the course of the last four years, I've really changed my way of thinking around it. Um, in fact, in my refrigerator right now, there's a, there's, a
0: six pack of heineken 0.0 i love (laughs) heineken that's my like standard kind of drink in the in the cupboard um it's a heineken i i I mix it with gimba you know the ginger drink do you have Mm -hmm. gimba it's quite a nice little mix yeah um yeah i mean i've because obviously this this is quite a conversation within the kind of sober space around these drinks um and and i do think it you You know, like instantaneously. Like I was at a, I I was at the Club Soda Festival, and there was this amazing kind of new, like rosé wine. I took one sip, and I was just like, oh no, (laughs) it was just too close to the real thing. I was just like, oh, because actually, for a really long time, I was searching for, you know, the red wine to, but I mean, all the red wines were (laughs) horrible. But actually, when I, when I tasted something that was kind of pretty close in a rosé I was just like no no um and so you know instantaneously I think if something's a trigger or not and but for me beers I mean I was never a beer drinker you know I drank wine so beer's never been an issue for me and it's just been really nice to have something that's not sweet
1: um absolutely yeah and I I think that what we're seeing now is a Kind of third wave, you know. If Seedlip and the like were kind of this first iteration of alternatives, the second wave was replicas. People mm-hmm. that were just in the in the game to replicate what you know, uh, replicate a an, an alternative to vodka or whiskey or mm-hmm. gin. Uh, there, I have at the bar. I have like six different gins from around the world. <laughs> you can take your pick. Um, it's great that all this is happening, but we're really excited about that third wave, which is just this new crop of beverages that are not at all like anything you've ever tasted before. They are their own kind of distillate and botanical, kind of like seedlet was in the beginning, but just even more interesting and dynamic, the The uh, processing and, and technology around distillation and alcohol removal has just improved 20-fold over the last three years. And so I think what people can feel safe doing is trying some of these third-wave new beverages that are not at all going to be as triggering. Um, it, it, it may have like a little bit of warmth. Uh, it may have a bit of a bite, but it's not going to remind you of a, a whiskey or a rum. It's going to be its own thing. So uh, the sobriety spectrum is there. And yeah. wherever you are on that spectrum is Okay. And so if, if these drinks do not sound like something that's good for you, then by all means, don't, um, I have a lot of friends who uh, have been sober a very long time and they just, they don't get it. They don't, they don't understand it. And that's perfectly okay. And we have drinks at the bar that don't taste like alcohol at all. Don't have any kind of. Yeah. Any kind of memory or any. Yeah. yeah. They're their own thing. One of my favorite drinks to make is a rosemary and ginger mule. And it's got mm. a rosemary simple syrup, strong ginger beer. I'm a i am love ginger. Ginger is ginger is That's like, what, what i
0: was what thinking about. Like there's always ginger. <laughs>
1: always ginger. Um so a ginger beer, uh, rosemary simple syrup and a squeeze of fresh lime. And mm. it is amazing. The rosemary is just this great beautiful um aroma and it just plays nicely with the strong ginger beer and the lime makes it feel fresh um and it's perfect for a hot day in texas um you know i just i just believe in offering something for everyone
0: yeah and i think that's and and again it is this because this has been quite a lot of the conversation in the uk because you know pub culture is so intrinsically part of the british experience and you know part of the the problems, the social problems um, that have been happening in the UK is because the local pub has shut down, you know. So, like, either they went the gastro pub and they went the food route or they, you know, so we're losing that kind of high street. So you're losing the post office, you're losing the pub, and that's kind of the heart of the British community. And so a lot of the work that, you know, Club Soda have been doing is like, let's make them inclusive spaces for everyone because it's not just people that have had you know problems substance you know disorder or use disorder or whatever the term, the right terminology is now um people that have struggled with alcohol in their lives but you know you've got religious kind of um you know beliefs that that people don't drink or you have people that you know are pregnant or just or mental health I- issues and it's about like rebuilding that community as a space for for everyone um and you know something that's been really interesting is is seeing how that the mindful drinking kind of which I struggle slightly with that term um but you know people drinking less has started to kind of impregnate into the British culture a little bit slowly of you know if you've had cancer you know my dad's a cancer survivor it's like now he has, he can go, he'll go and have one ale because he, you know, he's, that's his thing. And then he'll have a non-alcoholic beer and he can have a nice one, you know, draft on tap in a pub. Like that's huge, you know, because that's about health and about kind of making better choices. Or, you know, there's been a big push in the city of London, you know, so people are not drink driving. It's like, you know, you can have your drink and then you can switch, um so it's exciting. It's really exciting. I mean, there's a long way to go (laughs) because we we live in our little sober bubble. We're like, wow, the world's changing. And then you actually go to a pub and you're like, oh, (laughs) yeah,
1: yeah. it's, it's, uh, there's a, there's a long way to go, but I think that it's worth it. I, and I think that the public is becoming more aware that alcohol is not the best thing for us. We know that it's a carcinogen now. We didn't know that before. And I think that alcohol is going to go much the way of cigarettes um where and i'm sure there's parts of the of uk where people smoke all the time uh just like here here in the united states people smoke and and they've never stopped smoking there's you know i think there's even places here in texas where you can probably go and smoke in a restaurant still i was gonna uh, say know.
0: yeah france is really gonna struggle there because they, they love smoking the french yeah. it's still very embedded yeah. in that kind of cool chic you know way but
1: and that and that's okay. I mean, it's just it's, it's just understanding like if you're going to consume a product, you need to understand everything about it and then you can yeah. make an informed decision. If you if you choose to smoke, that's great, but you need to know what's in it. And the same way with alcohol. We haven't for a very long time globally understood what alcohol is and how it impacts us and if we make that if we were educated and we still make the decision to drink that's perfectly okay i just believe that the consumer needs to be informed about what's in the bottle
0: 100 yeah and that was a huge thing for me because it was like you know as you say this sort of spectrum and i you know i was a gray area drinker like i i stopped on my own i never went to treatment you know i i, I had a lot of agency over my decisions with alcohol Um, you know and I stopped for a year and I felt a lot better and then in my mental health and then I started drinking again blah 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 you know and and in the end it came to that decision of like okay like my brain is a bit fragile um alcohol is a depressant um I'm struggling that's not helping you know and so if I'm gonna on that journey of going from, you know, self-destruction to self-love, if I'm going to look after myself, you know, being alcohol-free is an act of self-care. And that's where it was for me. It was just like, okay, I, I I'm, life is a bit tricky for poor old Mandy, you know, <laughs> in, on a day-to-day. So like, let's sort of, yeah, let's try and, and that be part of my self-care plan. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, and that's what we want to encourage, right. It's like, you don't have to, hit rock bottom to have the validation or the um, permission to just take alcohol out of your life um, okay so let's finish up so we always finish with a tip of the day and your reason to love being sober so what tip of the day would you give to people could be drinks related could be mental health anything
1: well I had something prepared but I'm going to completely change oh
0: you can do two
1: Okay. So the one thing I was going to say was create fun and interesting drinks. I really believe that this is part of getting better is to replace your drinks with something fun and interesting because the ritual is is kind of what we miss most. We miss miss something about that ritual. I have my uh, after work drink. That I've been drinking since quarantine, and it's it's like an old fashioned kind of, and it's 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 cool, it's fun. I feel like the day is done, mm-hmm. and that has just been my go to, and and having those go tos are really important. So that that was my going to be my tip. That was going to be it. <laughs> but given this conversation, just how incredible it's been, I must say, um, my tip of the day is to do something that both intrigues you and scares you. Mm. Um, find the thing, whatever it is, if it's writing a book, if it's running a marathon, if it's, um, learning to sew, whatever it is, if it scares you a little bit, but it also intrigues you and also sparks that, that little jolt of electricity Mm. inside of you. Um, do it, do it. Oh, I love it. Which ties into like what I love about being sober so what I love about being sober uh, is that I have the freedom to try anything. I can really try anything in this world. Mm-hmm. And if I fail, it's okay. Um, there's so many things that I've done with Sansbar uh, that have not worked out. <laughs> um, there's so many times when I've had events across the country that few people showed up to, or, you know, or, or I made a drink and it was awful. Like I, I, I have failed plenty of times, but I have the freedom to fail today. And that's not something I had when I was drinking. I, I did not have that ability. So, yeah, freedom to try anything and fail and get up and try again. And that's why I, I encourage people to do things that scare them. You know, this this journey is full of those those moments where we find the things that that impact us and that help us change the world around us.
0: Mm. Oh, I love it. Thanks so much, Chris. It's been wicked to chat and I've really, really enjoyed it. And I know that listeners will too. Um, so
1: if I could. Yeah, go on. Um, I want to talk about some things that I have coming up. Before, oh, we Of go.
0: course, of course. I'm sorry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> OK, so I have Sands Bar Academy and that's an ongoing thing. That's for people who want to own their own alcohol free space or grow their own social um, alcohol free space business across the world um, I have people from all across the world in my first cohort and the second one is starting in July so if you're interested in that you can go on the Sandsbar.com website and check that out uh and then the other thing is I'm doing a 2022 tour across the United States and Canada so that's coming out just wanted to announce that here I don't think I've said that anywhere else on a podcast so Woo. um yeah look out for the tour and I'm, I'm hoping to come across the pond um and I've made a lot of connections during the pandemic and I would love to have some events across Europe.
0: Oh yeah, you must. Yeah. You'll be more than welcome. And, you know, definitely reach out because we, you know, can hook you up with some, people and venues and things like that um yeah and and do sort of follow chris and his work um it's super inspirational and you know i've i've seen a couple of panels and things that you've done so it's always a pleasure to listen to to you and thank you for sharing your story and thank you for um yeah kind of caring about the world enough to try and make a difference you know so um it's been a real pleasure so um if you're immediately concerned about your drinking, you know, do reach out, um, send us a message at info at Love Sober. Um, if you're in Austin, Texas, you can go and check out Sands Bar or look out for the events that are going to be across the United States and, and Canada. Um, you know, even if we're not the right fit for you, you know, let's have a chat and we can always find a fit, you know, and, and a community that works for you. Um, and um, if you have any questions, there is an uh a, or uh, ooh, I've forgotten the word. There is a uh, anonymous ask the doctor service on Soberistas, so that is a really great service for um, agencies of local support. Um, and yeah, it's been a really brilliant conversation, Chris. So thank you, and um, hopefully one day we'll meet in real life.
1: I hope so. I'm going to put it out there into the universe.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, take care, and we'll see you next week for more chat. If you love the Love Sober podcast and it's helped you to get, stay or love sober, you can support us by heading over to patreon.com forward slash and contributing £1 per episode. Thanks so much for your support. Bye from us.